when a glial cell becomes a, a cancerous cell, we call it a glioblastoma. Hello and welcome to TGen Talks. I'm Mark Moran. A frightening word and an even more frightening prognosis. Glioblastoma is the most aggressive form of cancer that researchers have discovered. It starts in the brain and spreads rapidly. The life expectancy of someone diagnosed with a glioblastoma is less than a year and a half. You've probably heard about it most recently because Arizona Senator John McCain has been diagnosed with a glioblastoma. We're joined today by Dr. Michael Behrens. He's professor and director of the Cancer and Cell Biology Division here at TGen and the head of the Glioma Research Lab. Dr. Behrens, Senator McCain has deep ties to TGen and had those ties even before his tumor. Senator McCain has been a long-term advocate and proponent for building biomedical research in Arizona. About 15 years ago, he became very actively involved as we were looking to launch the founding of TGen in Arizona. And so Senator McCain is, is certainly, we've, we view him as one of our key friends and allies in growing TGen and adv advancing our research. What is a glioblastoma? The brain, I, I tell people, is made up basically of two kinds of cells, uh, neurons and not neurons. And so interestingly enough, very, very, very rarely, almost never, do neurons become tumor cells. It's an, it's an amazing thing. The cells in the brain that are not neurons, in this case glial cells, are the next most abundant, they can become a tumor cell. And so when a glial cell transforms or becomes a, a cancerous cell, we call it a glioblastoma. There can be lower grades that have less aggressive sounding names, but the most common tumor that starts in the brain is the glioblastoma. What is the difference between a glial cell and a quote-unquote regular cell? And what makes it more vulnerable to this cancer? We have guesses at this point why neurons don't become tumors. They can in, in children, um, but in adults, the neurons don't become a cancer cell. Why a glial cell does? It could be that neurons reach a point where they shut down the opportunity to reproduce, and glial cells maintain the ability to form from one cell to two cells. So a glial cell can still divide, whereas a neuron doesn't. And that vulnerability in cell division creates a, a chink in the armor where a mistake that says to a cell, okay, go from one cell to two cells, but if somehow the breaking mechanism has a defect and the cell goes from one cell to two cells and two cells to four cells and four cells to eight cells, now you've lost the control of the number of cells that are produced. And that really is what a tumor is, what a cancer becomes. It's cells losing the ability to control their cell growth regulation. And, and it just goes out of control and it keeps growing and creates a mass of unwanted abnormal cells. What is really different between a cancer cell and normal cell growth is that not only do the tumor cells continue to grow when they shouldn't, but they also typically will become more and more aggressive over time. So it's as if the, the instructions that make a cell do what it does get sloppy over time and the tumor cells become less like they originally were and more aggressive, growing faster, and adopting uh, more misbehaving functions. Why is this particular type of cancer so difficult to treat? There are a couple of reasons why glioblastoma poses difficult clinical management problems. 
One is the brain is an exquisitely sensitive organ, and the blood vessels that bring oxygen and carry away waste products to the brain are equipped with a special lining called the blood-brain barrier, and it keeps out a lot of the chemicals that are in the blood. Most of the chemotherapy that's used to treat cancers are also in the list of things that the blood-brain barrier prevents from crossing into the brain. So to a large extent, uh, glioblastoma resides in a privileged site where most chemicals can't get in. And it's because a lot of those chemicals would cause problems in the nervous system, and so the glioblastoma resides in a place where it's very difficult to get therapeutic materials into the brain. So that's one reason that drives it that way. A second is that for reasons we don't quite understand, glioblastoma cells are very refractory to most therapy, even if you could get it there. When you say refractory? The glioblastoma cells start by being non-responsive to most therapeutics. Uh, so very aggressive toxins that are used to do damage to DNA. Uh, some chemicals can be used to, to treat cancers, glioblastoma, where they damage the DNA, and that's a preferred route of therapy. Radiation is also a preferred route of therapy. Both of those treatments have a cumulative toxicity to the patient. And so from the first day of treatment, the doctor knows that I can only deliver a certain amount of either radiation or these DNA-damaging drugs, after which I can't really give anymore because now I'm hurting the patient more than I'm hurting the tumor. So there's always this delicate balance between trying to treat the tumor and not hurt the patient. So that's a big problem. What sort of progress have you been able to make in the last several years on this? The progress we're making uh, is manifold in a variety of ways, that we're discovering new ways to understand the disease, and that understanding leads us to identify new points of vulnerability. So that part is really exciting. So, for example, in glioblastoma, we know that there's a molecule on the surface of the glioblastoma cells that drives the cells to proliferate that you don't find on normal glial cells. Well, that's kind of ideal, right? If that's, uh, could you come up with a silver bullet to hit that molecule? There have been fantastically well-developed molecules that block the receptor from functioning, but those molecules typically don't get across the blood-brain barrier. And so it's, we, we win in the, in the sense that that's a good target, and it's been a challenge because we can't get the payloads or the bullets to hit the target because of the anatomy of the brain. But there's very active efforts now in nanotechnology and in viral-based therapeutics to try to deliver new ways to treat these tumors. Recently, the FDA approved what's known as CAR-T. What is that, and how is that being used to treat glioblastoma? CAR-T therapy is a very exciting immunological strategy where a patient's own immune cells, in this case, T lymphocytes, so that's the T of the CAR-T, the, the patient's own T lymphocytes, which can be killer cells, are genetically engineered to develop a homing beacon to find unique markers on their individual personalized tumor cells. Now we know that across glioblastoma there can be certain proteins that are uh, abnormally expressed or abundant that make good targets for a T cell to find them. And so by ramping up the ability of the T lymphocyte to find certain markers that are on a glioblastoma cell now brings the body's own defense mechanism 
to attack the tumor cell. About a year ago, TGen became an affiliate with an entity called the City of Hope uh, in the Los Angeles area. Uh, City of Hope is about 115 years old. It's a fantastically well-organized, highly developed care system. They have a NCI-designated comprehensive cancer center. And City of Hope has been one of the pioneers in CAR-T therapy, as it turns out. And so our efforts now in a variety of tumors, not just in glioblastoma, but in lung cancer and in melanoma, uh, and in breast cancer, colon cancer. These are all good candidates for finding these markers on the tumor cells where the patient's own T lymphocytes can be engineered and then readministered back into the patient now with a homing beacon where they can find the tumor and attack it. The responders of that therapy have spectacular, rapid response where the tumor literally disappears in the order of a week or two. It is startling on how fast the immune system can clear out a tumor. Now, the tumor is not a passive bystander, of course, and tumors are clever. They find ways to work around, and if they find that having this protein makes them vulnerable to the immune system, the tumor cells figure out how to stop making that protein. And so it tends to lead to uh, ways to figure out, well, how does the tumor escape from that therapy and what would be the next intervention? But it demonstrates the proof of benefit for engineering a patient's immune system to go after and attack their tumor. It's one of the more hopeful events on the horizon for this highly malignant brain tumor. Let's take the 50,000-foot view. Say in the last 15 years, how much progress have you been able to make in extending someone's lifespan? If I think back of 15 years ago at the founding of TGen, the average survival for a patient diagnosed with a glioblastoma was on the order of seven to nine months, which is very, very fast. Now it's more than twice that. It's on the order of 14, maybe to 20 months. And so that's a significant benefit, but woefully frustrating in that we haven't moved survival benefit further than that. Extending life expectancy by just a few months over several years could seem rather depressing and daunting. How does it affect you as a human being when you realize that you want to do so much more, yet people are still only surviving, you know, 15 months? You can find yourself getting frustrated that we can't make faster progress. It's depressing to a certain extent. But What's powerful when we have patients and patient advocates come through and visit our institute, we realize that we certainly are fighting a disease, but we're doing it because of people. And when we meet people that say, I'm willing to enter a clinical trial, those people are heroes. And they're saying, Let's, even if it doesn't help me, maybe you're going to learn something to help the next person. And so I would say one of the most uplifting and encouraging aspects about being in cancer research today with a translational focus, so bringing progress to patients now, has to do with this element of hope. And most of the time when I tour people through my laboratory, I call them rooms of hope. And it's wonderful to tell people you're not alone, you're not abandoned, we are in this together. There's a whole community of donors, researchers, uh, institutional administration strengths that are here to say, what can we do with what we have today to make things better? And how fast can we go? And that actually is an incredibly motivating, heartwarming, encouraging, stimulating environment that says, 
we are who we are. We're in this together, and let's work together to make progress. And that is deeply motivating and encouraging. That's remarkable. These healing processes take place. Bones repair, skin heals, wounds in other parts of the body happen, toxic events, and the body heals. It's amazing. Cancer tends to run hard and suppress the immune system, and we're finding ways to overcome that. So it's, it's really a very, very exciting time. The research is yielding real benefits for patients today. Dr. Michael Behrens is professor and director of the Cancer and Cell Biology Division at TGen and head of the Glioblastoma Research Lab at TGen, the Translational Genomics Research Institute. TGen, an affiliate of City of Hope, is a nonprofit biomedical research institute based in Phoenix, Arizona. Learn more at tgen.org. I'm Mark Moran.